Um, you know, there's a, <clears throat> a saying, you probably have heard this before and said a couple different ways, but like you can, you can take someone out of a place, but you might not be able to take that place out of the person, right? Like you can take a country boy or a country girl out of the, out of the, the country and move them to the city, but because of the way that they have been raised, you can't necessarily take the country out of them. Same thing, if you've been cityfied and you've grown up in the city the way that you've been raised and taught to live and you were to take this person out of the city and move them to the country, they're still going to think like a person that has been raised in the city. Now, I'm a person that's from a small town, Butner, North Carolina. If you haven't heard of it, it's because it's a small town that you probably hadn't heard of. It's a town just outside of Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. A lot of what Butner is known for is, is uh, state prisons and federal prisons and facilities. The joke is that if you're from Butner, you either work for the state or you are a ward of the state. And uh, that's, that's not funny. <laughs> but that is the joke. Um, I'm, I, I was neither. But there is a, a part of me that believes this, this saying, right? Because I am from Butner, North Carolina. I am a, a good old country boy. There is some, you will hear from me, some ain'ts. You will hear from me some, some fixing twos if I get really excited. I like a good old country southern Sunday dinner with the family. That's just kind of who I am. If you get me on the spades table playing with my family and I'm whooping up on somebody, you might see some of the old Jermaine from Butner rise up and express itself in ways that it shouldn't be expressed. And that's just because that's who I am. But the reality is, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, March 6th of 2000, those that knew me as Jermaine before that day can now look at my life and see that there's something different about Jermaine now. From the day I gave my life to Jesus, I made a decision to say I'm going to identify not with who I was raised to be and who I was taught to be, but I'm going to be raised by the Word. And I have identified with Christ so much so that the 2022 Northern Virginia suburban, suburban night Jermaine has been married for 15 years with two kids looks a whole lot different than the 1999 Jermaine. The Butner Jermaine has gotten out and my new life in Christ has gotten in. And this is what I want to talk about today. This is what I believe the passage in Colossians is talking about today. What Paul is, is beginning to talk about here in this passage is not about the to-dos, but he's saying to begin with to-dos is the wrong way. You have to begin with who you are in Christ. You have to begin with your identity. So we're going to read here in Colossians chapter 3. It's our custom that we stand as we, as we read the passage together. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. And here we go. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. God, I pray that you will speak through me and that everyone here under the sound of my voice, myself included, 
will not just hear me, but they will hear you and we will be transformed forever. That we will not leave today the same as we came into this place. So Holy Spirit, I invite you into to this, this auditorium. God, let this be a place where you dwell and reign. Speak to us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul, Paul starts here with this statement, if then you have been raised with Christ. He's making a statement, you have been raised with Christ. And so he, he's already talked for two chapters about who Christ is and what Christ has done. And now he's beginning to shift into chapter three into some imperatives and what you are supposed to do in light of who Christ is and what Christ has done. And as I said before, he's, he doesn't start with to-dos. He starts with who you are, where you are. You are seated with Christ. The Christians in Colossae, you can see, and Pastor Eddie talked about it last week in verse 23, that they were still struggling with their sin. It says that they, the things that they were beginning to approach had no value in, in kind of containing their self-control. They were still struggling with their sin. They were still struggling with self-control. They were still struggling with doing the wrong things, and there was no change or there was no transformation in their life. And so Paul begins to, to shift his conversation and say, the reason why there is no change in your life And what I'm going to stress today is that you have not come to a full reckoning of who you are in Christ. That you are seated with Christ. That you have been raised with him and you are seated with him. That real transformation only begins once we recognize that. The new you is is new. The old you is dead. You're different now. I'm going to say that again. You are different now. It's like when you, when you get married. You know, I'm married for 15 years. Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ on high, my Savior. I love you. <clears throat> but my wife, when she, when she married me, she, she took on my name. And when I got married, when they pronounced us, it wasn't Mr. Jermaine Moore. It was Mr. and Mrs. Jermaine Moore. I no longer was one person living as a single being, but now I am Two people living as one person, which is a really difficult thing, but we are two living as one. I am no longer just myself, and so I can no longer live as just Jermaine Moore. I have to live now and pursue a life that is Jermaine and Blythe Moore, and Blythe has to pursue a life that is not Blythe Young, but thank thank you, Lord, to Jermaine Moore, right? And that's the reality. And the reason why I'm stressing this so much is because I don't think you can come to know. You, I don't think that you can step into what God has fully for you until you know who you are in him. I think at best you will, you will scratch the surface, just barely scratch the surface if you don't know who you are in Christ. And I think at, at worst for us is that we will strive to do in our own strength the things that can only be done in step with the Spirit, and we will end up falling. And the reason why we fall is because if we don't have our identity in Christ, we're going to place our identity in something, right? We're going to place our identity in our careers, in our calling, in our purpose, in our family, in our friends, in our marriage, in our kids. 
We're going to replace it in our, maybe just in our, our money, in pleasure, in our, in our race, in our ethnicity, in how we look, in our physical traits, in our politics, in our religion. And ultimately, these are, and not all of these things are bad things, but when we place really good things in place of where God should be, and ultimately when those things fall and they will fall short, who's left holding the bag? We're, we're left holding the bag, and we're, we're left feeling hurt and we're feeling pain, and we're feeling insecure, and we're feeling dissatisfied, and we're apathetic, and we're hurting, and we are depressed, and, it, and we're, we're trying to really come to grips with who we are. And how many, how many of you know that if you are left holding the bag, and that bag gets too heavy, we as people, as we are carrying this emotional baggage, we don't normally fall up, we, we fall down. And that's what happens when we place our, our identity in something other than Jesus Christ. Identity matters. And why I feel like this is so important is because really the weight of every decision that we make, I say every, the weight of most of the decisions that we make, our responses to things that we encounter really rest on how we see ourselves how we view ourselves, how we see ourselves with God. Think about the Israelites in Egypt. God had freed them. God had done miracles and brought them and delivered them out of 400 years of slavery. But what we see time and time again to their response to God and to their response to difficulty is that the Egypt was not out of them. They were freed, but they still had a mindset that was enslaved. They were stuck. They were stuck. And this is why it's important today. For many of us, this is uh, that we we are facing issues. When we look at the Israelites, they are stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. For some of us, we feel like we are in a wilderness. And we're looking at the issues of our life. And we're asking God similar questions that I'll ask myself. God, why why am I still struggling with the same sin? God, why, why am I still struggling with this insecurity and responding out of this insecurity? God, why am I so, so depressed? God, why, why am I not as free as your Bible proclaims that I can be? God, I'm struggling here. Why? Why can't I, for, why can't I for, forgive this person and get rid of this, this bitterness in my soul? And we can attribute this to a number of different reasons. And it's really quiet in here because I might be hitting on a few things, but... We can attribute this to a number of different reasons, right? We can, we, can, we can attribute it to other people. We're really good at deflecting and blaming other people. We're, we're really good at, you know, it, I got a mommy or daddy issue. You know, I, I, it's the culture that's around me, you know, and it's the devil. The devil made me do it. And these are, these are all reasons, and they're real reasons, and they are real hard reasons. But they may not be the root issue, And I feel like today, the root issue for some of us might be that we have not fully identified with Jesus Christ in our life. I feel like our our whole world is struggling with identity crisis. Right? It's a real thing. And I'm going to say this with a lot of nuance because we are, if you go anywhere, everything is about how you identify and what you identify as. And... The more, the more diversity that we continue to add to the array of 
identities within our, our culture, and I'll say this just for myself, the more confused I have become and the more dysfunction I see within society. And the more it becomes so important to me to identify with the only person and the only identity that lasts forever, and that is Jesus Christ. Yeah. Identity matters. You know, God, God created us in his own image. He created us to identify with him and to take that identity and to express that identity to the world so that they may know and that they may see him. And what's the first thing that the enemy does in the garden is that he corrupts identity. And he goes to Eve and he says, you will surely not die, but you will be like God. Hear that. That's the first thing that the enemy challenged was identity. And as soon as Adam and Eve basically gave up their identity in God and took on the identity that the enemy manipulated them into, God in this, in this has been trying to redeem and restore his image in his people and our identity with him. And you can see it in the garden. Adam and Eve, they're hiding. They're, they're, they're naked and they're, they're covered in shame. But you see God coming after them. Where are you, Adam? And he covers them. And continually we see throughout Scripture God taking Taking Abraham, who's a, who's a pagan, uh, you know, pagan worshiper who doesn't know God and, and gives him a new name, Abram, to Abraham, changes his identity. We, we see God take Moses, who, who is struggling with identity. He's having a crisis, doesn't know who he is, and he ends up murdering someone because of the crisis that he's having inside. But you see God chase him down and give him a purpose and a new name. And we see God talking to David, and David, who's a... Who's a a shepherd boy who's the afterthought. And God calls him out of the fields into a new place and gives him a new identity. And we see, we see this and we see Jesus. The first thing that, that God does with Jesus is, is, well, not the first thing, but, but hear this. When, before Jesus does anything, he gets baptized. And we see God the father come and he says to Jesus, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Before he does any ministry, before he does any healing, before he goes to the cross, before he gets up out of the grave, before he does anything, God gives him an identity. This is my son and this is what he stands on. This is what he stands on when he faces the Pharisees. It's his identity in Christ, this is in God. This is his identity that he stands on as he goes to the cross. This is what he stands on as he gets up out of the grave. This is who he is now and what he stands on as he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And this is who we now get to stand on. We get to stand on that same identity that, that was raised from, dead, from the dead. We now are raised with him and we stand on that identity. We stand with Christ on that identity. That is us. We are new. We are raised with Christ Y'all believe that this morning? Yes. So what are we to do now? What are we to do now, now that we have been raised with Christ? 
now that we have our, our new, our birth again certificate, right? We're, we're different people. And this is what Paul shifts us into here in this moment. And he says, you have been raised with Christ. And he says, seek with your heart or set your heart on things above. Seek, some versions say seek with your heart. Some versions say set your heart. It loses some translation as we, it loses some meaning as we translate it into English. But this word means more than just to search. This word means to investigate. This word means to put a demand on something, to meditate on it, to, to deliberate, to desire. It's almost like hunting. Like you're hunting for something. And not just for sport, but you are hunting for something because your life depends on it. And if you don't get this thing that you are hunting for, your survival may fade. And not only is yours, but your family's might as well. You are, you are searching and hunting. This is what it means to seek the things that are above, to seek with your heart. Everything, things, things that he says here means everything, right? We seek everything above everything, past, present, future. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, you are feverishly trying to find where God is in it. Even in the nasty of situations. I mean, you are digging through the trash saying, saying, God, I, I need to find you. Where are you here? Where are you here, God? God, I need to hear from you. I need to see you. I need to know where you are taking me. I need to know what you're doing with my family. You're like the persistent widow in Luke 18 who's looking for an answer from the judge, and she's constantly coming back, nagging if she has to. I need an answer. I need a judgment. God, I need you to do something. I need you to move. I need you to do something. And you are seeking and you are craving because your life depends on it. This is what it means to seek the things that are above. The issue with us is that we live in a culture <laughs> where we don't really have to seek too much. I, I love Amazon. If you ask me for anything, I'm going to say, well, let's go to Amazon. And Amazon will get it to my house the next day or the day after. If I want to search for something, I can go to Google. I can say, Google, tell me about this. And Google will give me an answer within milliseconds of what I am looking for. And that's really awesome. But the problem with that is that it doesn't teach us how to really hunt, how to really seek. And that, that type of seeking that we have has created an ethic within us that doesn't know how to search out the things that God wants us to search out. And we struggle. And so we end up or tend to begin to lean towards things that are easier to give me answers. The what, the who, and what ultimately ends up happening for us is they can't necessarily, or they can't, I won't say necessarily, they cannot bring us to the place where God wants to take us. They cannot bring us to the place where God wants to take us. And this is where we end up, and we end up really back in the same place that we should have been in the beginning, asking the question that we should have asked in the beginning, Seeking with our heart, saying, God, where are you? Here's an example. God gives us an example of, of how to seek because he, he shows us how to seek. Luke chapter 15, there's a parable of the 10 coins. And there's this, this woman who has 10 coins. She has nine now, and she's lost one. And what she does is she takes the coin, 
I mean, she, she, what she does is, is she begins to flip up the house, and it says that she begins to seek around the house for this coin. She's turning things up. She's flipping over tables. She said, I got to know where this coin is. Even though she has nine, she still wants the one, and she's not willing to let the one stay hidden. This is how God seeks. This is how God seeks us. God shows us how to seek. He's not willing to let you stay where you are. So God seeks us. God runs after us. God turns things over. He moves things out of the way so that he can get towards us. And this is who he is. So he's showing us this is how you are to seek. This is his example. And the promise that God gives us is that if we were to seek him in this way, says this in Matthew 6 and 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It says in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Seek. Then he moves on, Paul, in this passage. He says, beyond just seeking with your, your heart, you need to set your mind on things above. What this means is to direct your mind to, to be mindful. Ultimately, it means to be intentional and purposeful about what you are thinking, to develop some convictions and to actually live those convictions out. The real word is that you, you care for your thoughts. This is the place where many of us lose the battle. We live in a place of stinking thinking. Many times we just don't care about our thoughts. We will allow all of our thoughts to have all of the control of our life. They control our emotions. They control our will. And sometimes we just get careless in what we allow just because we, we just want to participate in entertainment. Sometimes we just get careless on what we allow just because we see others allowing it in their own life. Sometimes we get careless on what we allow as far as our thoughts because we have always allowed them and we don't think that there's another way to think. Sometimes we get careless because we think that we are stronger than we really are. And we end up stunting our growth. We end up immature. And we're driven by our emotions and driven by our environment. There's an example here in in Daniel chapter 1, which is a really great example of what it looks like to take some things captive and to care about what you are consuming. We all are familiar with Daniel chapter 1. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they are Hebrew boys, and they have been exiled from their homeland. And King Nebuchadnezzar is now trying to indoctrinate them. Food, wine, thoughts into a new culture. And Daniel gets with his, gets with his boys and he says, like, no, 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 this is not going to work for me. And it says in verse 8 of chapter 1, it says this, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. That word resolved there is basically the same word 
a very similar meaning of what it means to set your mind. It means that he had to make a conscious decision to say, I am not going to defile myself in this way. He had a very strong sense of who he was, a strong sense of identity. He knew what he wanted, and he began to seek God. And he says, I'm not going to allow something else to get in the way of my relationship with this God. And this is what it continues to say. And I'll try to read this fast, and this will make sense. But in verse 12, it says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of young men who eat royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables instead. And it says, verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all things of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. I love this. They, they stopped consuming what everyone else was consuming. And I am un, of the firm belief that the other Hebrew boys maybe and possibly could have made the same decision that Daniel and his friends made. And Daniel made a decision. I am going to consume something different. And look what happened. They were, they were more healthy. They were better nourished. And God gave them understanding. And he filled them with his spirit so that they could understand the things of the Spirit. That is an incredible revelation for me, and I hope it is for you. Because for some of us, if we are in this place where we are saying, God, I need you to move. God, I need to be able to hear a little bit clearer from you. God, I need to be able to know the things that you are trying to say through your word. I want to understand. I want to be filled with your spirit. God, I need you to move in my life. I need you to move in my family. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to experience you more. That's us, and that's our cry. I think the, the answer might be that we need to get our mind out of the gutter. We need to get rid of the things that we are consuming. Maybe get rid of the who that we are consuming. And begin to consume what God has placed in front of us. Mainly his word. Mainly his word, also his people and his community. It's very practical. Change the, change the diet of your mind. Stop thinking and acting like a child. And start thinking and acting like a child of God. And I believe, God, I believe, family, that if you begin to care intentionally and purposefully about the things that you are consuming, the things that you will allow your mind to partake in. I believe that God is going to pour out his spirit upon you. There will be a greater level of his anointing, a greater level of his spirit and portion that he will give to you if you would just allow for yourself to make room for God to come and do what God wants to do in your life. Scripture says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 9. It says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love them. These are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. That's what God wants to do. The question is, will we allow him to do that here in this moment? 
Seek with your heart. Set your minds. Seek with your heart. Set your minds. Can you say that with me? Seek with your heart. And set your minds. I'm going to say that again. I don't feel like you, you were in it with me. I'm going to make it personal. Seek with my heart. Set my mind. And finally, stand secured. You know, he says in that, in that passage, he says, he says here in Colossians 3, in verse 3, he says, For you have died, and your life is now hidden in Christ, or hidden with Christ in God. For you have died. The old you has dead. That word really, really means dying off. Like as we begin to participate in what God wants us to participate in, as we seek with our heart, we set with our mind, we are, we are feeding our spiritual man and we are literally starving to death the old man. And he is dying off. And we are maturing and we are growing and we will see change and transformation as we do those things. And you are a whole new person now. And you are hidden with Christ. Your, your new life is Christ, and it is hidden with Christ. I love, I love that. I'm going to say it one more time. Your new life is Christ, and it is hidden with Christ. Your new life is Christ, and it is hidden. I love that. Anyway, I'm going to keep saying that. And this might be the most important thing that I say today. Because that word hidden means to conceal. It means to, to protect from the view of others. I get the picture of, of a vault. That's, that's the, the word picture I get when I think about this passage is that your new life is, is hidden with Christ. It is, it is now in God's vault. Anybody know, know about vaults? I don't know about vaults too much, but I know that you typically, you take your, your, your vault and you put it in an, obs- an obscure place and then you take the things that you deem to be valuable enough to put in the vault, you put them in the vault, you lock it away so that no one can see them and that no one can actually get to them except for yourself. And that is what Christ has, that is what Christ has done, that is what God has done with this new life that you now have. He has hidden it with Christ. He has hidden it in his vault. I don't know if this makes sense to you, but, you know, if you have, if you have a vault, it, it's possible, it's possible that the right person at the, at the right time with the right team could come and actually enter into your vault, right? There's, there's a possibility, maybe the .001% chance vulnerability is there for your vault to be taken advantage of and for what's valuable to be put inside. But hear me, if God has a vault, (laughs) if God has a vault, there is no one that is getting into the vault that God has for you. Your life is now hidden with him, hidden in his vault. There is no Ocean's 11 double hit squad that's coming to take the life that God has for you that has been hidden with Christ. Listen, there is no devil in hell that can get to the life that God has secured for you by Christ in his vault. Your life is hidden with Christ. I love this. This is the platform that we, we stand on. This is where we begin to live our life. This is where we find our identity on this promise that your life is hidden with Christ. Romans 8, 35 through 38 is a passage that you probably have heard us say over and over and over again. And it says this. 
For who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And if Pastor Eddie were here, he would want us to say, oh, man, I hope he's not watching today. (laughs) Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is where we find our identity. This is the platform that we stand on and we stand secured. You know, in Luke chapter 15, it's a passage that I've already talked about as well. I love how I'm connected in the spirit with Reggie because I was just about to ask him to come up. In Luke chapter 15, it's the story of the prodigal son. Again, we, we, we know the story. Right? There's, there's two sons. The younger son goes to his father, and he says, you know what? I, he says, Pops, like, just give me my inheritance now. I'm going to take it. And he takes his inheritance, and he goes, and he, and he blows it. He throws it all away. And times get really hard, and he's in a really tough place, so, so tough that he, he's even thinking to himself that I... I might eat out of this pig trough right here. I'm so hungry. This, this might be it. But then he says he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses and he goes to himself and he says, I'm no longer worthy of being a son, but maybe if I go to the father, to my father, I can live like one of the servants. The servants eat pretty good. You know, I was wrestling with this passage because it says he came to his senses. And although he may have come to his senses to one degree to recognize that my life is a mess, he didn't necessarily come to a full reckoning of knowing who he was. He's in a picture off and he's saying, maybe at least I can just be a servant. And he runs towards his house or he starts going towards his home. And his father looks out and he sees him coming. And as you read in the passage, you could kind of get the sense that the father has always been seeking and looking for his son to come back home. And he's running towards him. And what does the father see? Does the father see a pig? <laughs> does, the father, does the father see a failure? No. Does the father see a servant? The father sees a son. And he runs and he embraces him and he wraps his arms around him. My son, you have come home. And he begins to give him all the things that are, that are necessary, his inheritance, his ring, his, his, his cloak. He says, God, this is my son. He's home. Let's celebrate. And that's a picture for us who we are in Christ. Like we, we, have, we have blown it. <laughs> For those that don't think that you have, Romans 3 kind of sums it up. For we've all fallen short of the glory of God. He is holy and we are not. And for the most part, 
just like the prodigal son, we have taken the life that God has, has offered us. And we have said, I want something different. And we have run from him. But as we begin to, by the grace of God, turn back to him, what does the father see when he sees us? Does he see your failures? Does he see your mistakes? Does he see all the bad things that you have done? Does he see you as a servant? He doesn't. He sees you as, he sees Jesus. He clothes us with Jesus. Who Jesus is as a son is who we are if we believe in what he has done on the cross and what he has done as he's gotten up out of the grave. We have been raised with Christ. We have been seated with him. This is who we are now. And the question I, I have this morning is that if we can reckon with that, why would we as children, as sons and daughters of God, settle for anything less than the life of a child of the king. Some of us, we've, we've settled for the pig trough. We're looking at ourselves and we're saying, we're not worthy of anything but this. I don't like who I am. I can't understand how anybody could like me. I've blown it so bad. This is all that I'm good for. Some of us are, are here and we've maybe come up just a little bit. So maybe not settling for the pig trough, but I'm settling here for a servant. Never fully stepping into our identity as a son or daughter of God. Asking for more, looking for more, but from the outside, kind of looking in. And today, I just wanted to in, implore to, to all of us that you are a son and daughter of God. Get out. <laughs> son, daughter, get out of the trough. Get out of the trough. Get out of your own way. Get out of the ungodly relationship. Get out of your bad habits and get into what God has for you. If you can hear God's voice today, he's saying get out. He has something that is unbelievably amazing for you. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But life is hard in and of itself. <laughs> you might as well live the life that God has for you instead of the life that you have for yourself. And it all begins with identity. You have been seated with Christ. And he is the one that is seated at the right hand of the Father with all authority to actually do something for you and to change and transform you. 
Pray with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your your heart to seek after us. Your heart to never let us stay hidden. Your heart that says, I will, I will break through all the barriers to, to get towards you. God, we thank you for what you have done through Christ. That now we can say we have died with him and we are raised with him. And I pray for everyone here that they would take an inventory of their life and begin to see where they have lost track of their identity with you, where they are seeking with their heart things below and not the things that are above, that we are set their mind on things that are below and not above, and that we would repent, that we would change our mind, that we would set our mind on the things that are above, on you, on where you are, because that is who we are now. there's anyone here today that has heard this message and want to change your mind today, you want to repent and turn towards God and say, I'm tired of living my own way. I want to get out of my own way. I want to get out of my struggle that I'm in. I want to know the more that God has for me. I want to know what it's like to live as a child of God. If that's you in this place, can you lift your hands up? I see that hand. Once it's up, you can put it down. Is there anyone else today where it says today, if, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Thank you for the hands that were up today pray this prayer. God, today, I surrender my life to you. I repent for thinking I could do this on my own. I repent for accepting the identity of culture, the identity of my own doing, the identity of the enemy in place of the identity that you have for me. And I thank you today that I can be called a child of God. I believe in what Jesus did on the cross for me and what that means as I am risen with him. We thank you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, family.